0: From Washington, D.C. and around the world, this is Government Matters with Francis Rose. Thanks for watching Government Matters, the only show covering the latest news, trends, and topics that matter to the business of government. I'm your host, Francis Rose. Veterans leave government faster than their fellow employees that didn't serve in the military, according to new data from the Government Accountability Office. Vets left government about one and a half times more than non-veterans from 2014 through 2018. Federal Times reports GAO does note a vet leaving an agency doesn't mean that vet left government service. The General Services Administration will develop a plan to locate more federal offices in economically disadvantaged areas. President Trump signed an executive order directing the plan from GSA. Gov. GovExec reports the agency doesn't have a timeline yet to release the plan. The Defense Information Systems Agency will roll out a new contract to consolidate fourth estate networks across the Defense Department. The single award contract will be worth $11.7 billion. FedScoop reports the Defense Enclave Services contract will be an indefinite delivery, indefinite quantity contract that could last 10 years. The department of homeland security has improved its ability to identify legacy it systems it needs to upgrade but it still relies on them more than it should the agency's inspector general finds these old systems are impacting the agency's ability to meet its mission kristen bernard is the deputy assistant inspector general at the department of homeland security kristen welcome thanks for coming on the program what specifically did you look at regarding legacy systems at dhs
1: sure thanks for having me francis Uh, So we, um, we, here at the OIG, we um, try to keep abreast of the department's IT um, progress as well as their pain points. Um, This audit was just one in a series of many reports that we've done over the last 10 years, especially in light of IT reform initiatives that have really taken flight over the last 10 years. So uh, for this particular audit, We focused on two key areas of IT reform, which is the shift to cloud computing, of course, and consolidating IT services. So uh, as far as progress that the department had made, um, well, we found they had made progress in both areas for cloud migration and data center optimization. Um, Although the department is sort of taking a one-by-one approach to lift and shift, uh, one system at a at a time, one component at a time to the cloud. Uh, it had still met or exceeded its goal to transition about 30% of its systems um, by the first quarter of 2019. Um, it seems they've become more comfortable leveraging cloud solutions over the past few years, especially since the FY 19 cloud smart strategy. So I think that certainly helped them. Um, Especially now to mobilize their workforce, um, we uh, similarly we cited progress with the data center optimization. Um, I believe they were down to 15 data center sites from a peak of about 100 or 102. So uh, that was also progress. But Francis, our key takeaway was. Um, DHS is still um, struggling to reduce its dependency on legacy technology systems. And we know from our prior audit work that the department has a lot of ground to cover in this area to address the rising operations and maintenance costs for supporting these legacy systems, um, but perhaps more importantly, to uh, provide personnel with more up-to-date technology um, and, and we cited three examples in the report of IT systems that were out of date or no longer supported, some dating more than 15 years ago.
0: Yeah, one, the, one of those systems, I did a little math calculation. Only one of them, it seems, has been implemented, instituted since the actual stand up of the department about 18 years ago. The other two predate even the establishment of the Department of Homeland Security. Were you right. able to get a sense in doing this work or other work that you've done, why there hasn't been an update till now? Is it just because the system has to keep working to fulfill the mission of the agency or is there some other issue there, Kristen?
1: No, um, I think you've, you've really hit the head on the nail. The biggest challenge that these legacy systems present in a department like DHS with its vast and complex mission operations is, you know technology is underpinning nearly every mission operation that's going on across the department. And these modernization efforts are a massive undertaking. Uh, It can destabilize the system for quite a prolonged period of time. Um, There's also there's often uh, a large data migration effort and application recoding effort that goes along with modernizing these older systems. Um, But because it's so critical, to keep the systems up and running without interruption, there can be a lot of risk associated with um, these modernization efforts. So I think that's definitely the biggest challenge at play here.
0: The recommendations struck me, Kristen, as an amateur observer, as all heavy lifts, I guess the benefit DHS has is that its new CIO is certainly not new to information technology. Karen Evans has been around the federal IT community for a long time. Walk me through the recommendations that you are suggesting that DHS undertake?
1: Sure. So, uh, you know, we, DHS really needs to overcome these longstanding IT deficiencies. It's certainly not going to happen overnight. Um, so, with respect to the um, particular areas that we focused on for this audit, we issued three recommendations uh, aimed at improving their implementation of cloud technology, data center optimization and providing oversight of legacy IT systems. So uh, specifically, we recommended that they develop guidance, additional guidance for implementing cloud technology and migrating these legacy systems to the cloud. Um, We recommended they coordinate with components to develop and finalize data center migration approaches and to establish a process to assign risk ratings for major legacy it investments and i think that's where karen evans will um will really be helpful i know we've made some good progress over the past few years in cio authority um and i, I think that she will have a good handle and be in a good position to maintain oversight
0: we just have a, a less than a minute left and that's exactly where i wanted to finish john zangardi the former cio at dhs was on the program a, little, a few days ago Talking about that fact, the HR system Angie Bailey has control of, the uh, financial management system that you cited, Troy Edgar has, the CFO has control over that, FEMA has control over the FEMA grant system. Does that matter? Should those shift to the office of the CIO, or is that not in the purvey of the recommendations that you made?
1: No, that's, that's not in the purview of the recommendations that we've made, um, and, and that's certainly not uncommon for um, IT systems to be owned and managed by a program office. But yet still, there are tools and techniques in place to empower the CIO to, as I said, to conduct that oversight and to use risk ratings and to maintain visibility to help out and, and provide that steering that's needed.
0: Kristen Bernard, thanks very much for joining me. I appreciate your time.
1: No problem. Thanks for having me.
0: Up next, the right mental health care for military families. Straight ahead on Government Matters, delivering what service members and their families need. You're watching WJLA 24-7 News. More than half of the active-duty military members and families referred for mental health care don't receive help. The Office of Inspector General at DOD has 14 recommendations to improve access to mental health care in the department. Carol Enhance is Assistant Inspector General for Evaluations Programs, Combatant Commands, and Overseas Contingency Operations at the DOD Office of Inspector General. Carolyn, and welcome. Thank you very much for coming on today. I'll get right to the numbers here that you and your team found. Um, uh, 4,415 out of 8,328 people per month, um, an average of 53% of all active duty members and their families referred, didn't get the the care that they needed. And maybe what is more striking to me, the MHS doesn't know why. Were you able to find out why they didn't know why, Carolyn? Uh,
2: In some cases, it related to, uh, for example, on the 53%, uh, that didn't receive care after referrals. A lot of that had to do with patients having to attempt to get the appointments themselves. In some cases, the providers were, the inf- information was inaccurate as it related to providers. In some cases, they want patients wound up making multiple phone calls in order to get appointments or attempt to get appointments and wound up frustrated because The provider information may have been inaccurate. It could be a case of where the provider was no longer accepting new TRICARE patients. And when a patient that's referred for mental health issues winds up in a frustrating position of having to make multiple phone calls to attempt to get that follow-up care, we found that to be problematic.
0: Having been in that situation myself, and I'm sure we all have at some point in time when we've needed care, I can understand that, that frustration that the patient Runs through. How is what is happening in this, in the military health system, in DHA, different than what somebody might experience in some other system? Is there a way to compare apples to apples given the unique nature of DHA and TRICARE?
2: Uh, we didn't look at the unique nature necessarily of uh, DOD in comparison to the civilian uh, force. However, uh, We do know that 14% of active duty military, and according to our statistics from 2017, have mental uh, health issues, whereas in the overall United States, it's more like 18%. So in the department, it's slightly lower. But we uh, we do note that there is a concern in DOD as well as outside of DOD in terms of the Uh, availability of health care providers for mental health and and by 2030 there's an estimate that there will be like 17,000 more mental health care providers needed than are going to be available. So we are looking at various ways that the department can improve in terms of the mental health access to care in meeting the standards and also in developing a single model for the direct care and purchase care system so that we can improve the extent to which active duty military and their family members are actually receiving the mental health care that they need because it is incredibly important to the patient safety as well as to the readiness of the force. And we ran into examples like where uh, the delays can jeopardize patient safety as well as force readiness. Uh, For example, at one site that we went to, uh, uh, interviewee noted that there's indications that the delays, excuse me, that the delays in healthcare can result in things like um, second suicide attempts hospitalizations and that's very concerning and problematic
0: you make 14 recommendations here it's a long list and very comprehensive what are some of the most important ones that you would like to see dha implement pretty quickly
2: um they can quickly update and clarify guidance they can make it so that measures of standards of care are implemented consistently Across the department, they can also look to develop a single staffing model to determine the appropriate number of mental health care providers that are needed. And they can also uh, develop in the system a means for the military healthcare system to make the appointments that are needed rather than relying on patients to have to take the referral and run with it and then find out that they're not receiving the care because you refer them to providers that are no longer accepting patients. It's just very frustrating when you have to call multiple providers in order to attempt to get a mental health care treatment that you need
0: carolyn hans thanks very much for your insight today i appreciate your time very much thank you up next dominating information at the pentagon straight ahead on government matters how the shift to the cloud will give war fighters a critical edge don't forget if you miss an episode of government matters you can find it on our website govmatters.tv we'll be right back The cloud strategy at the Defense Department emphasizes information dominance. The DoD will use tools like artificial intelligence to shift to cloud computing and away from traditional data centers. Michael Busher is chief growth officer at New Wave Solutions. Michael, welcome. Thanks for coming on the program. This concept—you know—something's important at the Pentagon when the department and the branches start naming things after it. All of the branches now. <laughs> have something called information dominance somewhere what's driving this trend do you think Michael
3: well first off Francis thank you for having me on and you're, and you're absolutely right well it's what's driving the trend is just a history and uh, an overwhelming amount of sensor and collection data that's out there and you've come to a point of saturation where we have so much data that's out there um, it's really making it available it's being able to organize analyze secure scale and and ultimately, capitalize on having that information to make timely decisions, and uh, and that's what DoD, I, C, and even the uh, civilian agencies are recognizing.
0: You pointed me to to, to uh, some terrific reading from uh, some of the, the war colleges and so on about information dominance. And as I read through those things, it strikes me, civilian agencies maybe are not thinking about information and data from a dominance perspective, but maybe they should. Is that? maybe a change that is overdue in the civilian sector of government michael
3: well, you're absolutely right francis so yeah obviously dod and the ic were quick to embrace it but the civilian agencies it could be um, uh, health and human services whatever the case is they have so much available data uh, and it's being able to again put it in one centralized location so the people that need to make the decisions um, all the way down to your your baseline workers access that information in a timely manner so they can improve their services that they provide for not only their workforce but their customer base and that could include the veterans administration and again health and human services whatever that may be
0: is there a difference do you think in information dominance in a war fighting domain versus information dominance in a civilian mission execution landscape
3: yeah, there is, and that's a great point. So, in the mission execution or how the government applies it in the sense of DoD or IC, it's being able to make those that data to decision to decision path very quickly. So we have we're able to do so and have that competitive advantage over our adversaries. In the case of the civilian agencies, that again, it's providing and maximizing their services that they provide, executing their mission, whatever that may be, and improving how they do business in a more efficient manner. We've seen that at the VA um, and they they're starting to embrace the information dominance and and again, collating that data and aggregating it in a central location.
0: The CIO at uh, DOD, Dana Deasy, uh, the leader of the Jake, a lot of other leaders, people at DISA uh, inside the department are talking about cloud computing as a big enabler of information dominance. Same thing is happening in the civilian agencies. I wonder if the other tools that DOD will use and that the IC is using uh, will be the same tools that the civilian agencies should use?
3: Uh, they'll be very similar. So, you know, technologies like artificial intelligence, machine learning are key to that information dominant strategy, and the cloud underpins all that. So as we see civilian agencies moving to the cloud, they may not entirely understand uh, or appreciate the, the need to collate it into a centralized location. But when you're applying the technologies like AI and ML, like we do at New Wave Solutions, uh, what you're able to provide, again, for your organization is taking the data that you've already collected and making it accessible. And, and again, it's not just for the decision makers. It's for everyone to be able to access that information and uh, and improve how they do business each and every
0: day. A lot of discussion in this space and on this program about artificial intelligence, not as much about machine learning. What's the intersection of those two, Michael? And where are agencies missing opportunities, both civilian, defense, I see all of them? Where are they missing opportunities with machine learning?
3: Hey, again, fantastic point. So what we're seeing is on, um, when you apply ML algorithms or ML capabilities, and when that could be in the form of tensor completion, whatever that is, it's filling in those gaps um, and taking those technologies that, yes, they are in many ways in their infancy, but as they mature, um, and being able to employ AI instead of having a, a room full of analysts uh, trying to find that, that nugget of intelligence or nugget of data, you're able to apply AI algorithms to find it. It's much, much quicker, more effective. And again, you can reduce your analytical workforce while still providing a great product.
0: One transition that the administration has been very emphatic about is, and in spelling it out, in fact, in the president's management agenda is that all of these technology tools will not create a smaller workforce it'll move people from lower value to higher value work are you starting to see that happen already
3: oh we are we absolutely are and again in the case of our organization we have internal training programs where we train and certify our employees uh, and some of those training programs include ai and ml understanding understanding the intersection between the two how they can be applied to better service our customers so yeah it's it's a huge area, uh, and I think individuals that are looking at it now should seek to get better training and better educated on it and, uh, and see how it can help not only them personally, but how it can help the organizations
0: that are part of it. Michael, about 30 seconds left. What's the leading edge? What's over the horizon in these tools? What should agencies be aware of that maybe they can't do today, but will be available to them a year from now or two years from now or five years from now?
3: Absolutely. So, you know, again, we're always going to want to gain that competitive advantage. And it depends heavily on the individuals and their ability to access actionable information provided by AI and machine learning in an on-demand fashion. Uh, therefore, the edge of the network is really what they need to look at. It's, it's contracts like C2S, JEDI, C2E. Um, that's what we're looking for. The government has made an unwavering commitment to it. And uh, I think it's the more that other people people learn about it, the better off lawyer organizations as well as them
0: individually will be michael terrific insight thanks very much for joining me today i appreciate it
3: thank you for having me on
0: if you've missed the show or you're on the go you can stay plugged in on issues that matter to the business of government government matters is available now as an audio podcast you get it every day on apple podcasts google play soundcloud and tune in or just ask your digital assistant to play the government matters podcast i'm back in two minutes The latest from Washington. Join me weeknights at eight and eleven on WJLA 24/7 News, and Sunday mornings at ten thirty on ABC Seven. Stay plugged in on issues that matter to the business of government. Thanks for watching. I'm Francis Rose. Thanks for listening. Our daily program is produced by Cherise Hanner and Ashley Gallagher. Christy Marriott leads our technical crew. Our web editor is Beatrix Haddon.